Good morning, everybody. My name is Steve Aaron. I have the pleasure of serving as a shepherd here on staff and uh, thankful to be here with you this morning. I always look forward to our uh, Sunday morning gatherings. Uh, I was thinking as I was preparing for this morning, uh, I've been attending this church for uh, 10 years now. Uh, I've only been on staff for two and a half, but uh, 10 years ago I had moved into the area and was looking for a different type of church environment. I'd grown up uh, in, in a different type of church and so wanted to make a change. Uh, I had moved to Orange County and my cousin randomly called me one day and she said, uh, hey, you live near Fullerton Free, why don't you give it a shot? And so I uh, had never heard of the church, never been here, so I looked it up online and uh, found the information and made my way one Sunday morning. I sat all the way in the back there against the wall, uh, showed up a little late and left a little early, but I loved it, the singing and the preaching and just everything about this place. Uh, so it became my church. I started attending faithfully and I can remember uh, when I... Uh, started attending, uh, I was so excited. I told one of my best friends about it. I said, man, you got to check this church out with me. And uh, his wife was out of town one weekend. And so uh, we had made a plan where I would pick him up, him and his son, and we were going to come here to church. And so uh, that Sunday morning came and I pick him up and uh, I'm helping his son get ready. And his son asks me, he says, Steve Aaron, why do we go to church? Well, to a five-year-old, you know, I'm trying to explain why we go to church. And so I'm racking my brain trying to think of anything. Uh, you know, we go to church because God commands us. Uh, we go to church because uh, we sing his songs with other believers. We go to church for whatever reason. And then I said, we go to church because it's God's house and that's where God lives. And I could see as I say that his eyes are, are looking up, you know, he's trying to, trying to comprehend what I'm saying. And so we make our way here to church. We got here late. We walk in that door back there and we settled in somewhere in the, in the middle of this section right here. And it's me, my buddy's son and my buddy. And uh, we're standing and we're singing. And I notice as we're singing out of the corner of my eye, I can see my, uh, my, son, uh, my friend's son. He's looking down the aisle this way. And then he looks down the aisle that way. And he looks behind him. And he looks up trying to see through the, through the rapture hatch we have here. And he gets on his tippy toes and he's looking toward the stage. Finally, I nudge him. I say, dude, what are you looking for? He said, Steve Aaron, where's God? You said he lives here and we were going to meet him. Where is he? Now, obviously, we, this is God's house and God is here. But my, son, uh, my friend's son thought that we were physically going to meet God in the flesh. It's funny when you, when, you, uh, when you see examples of children and their innocence and the things that they believe. And I remember when I thinking as a kid, if you swallowed a watermelon seed, that a watermelon was going to grow in you. Or my mom would always tell me if I got a splinter in my finger to take it out because it's going to go through my veins and into my heart. Whatever it may be, uh, you know, as children, we believe these things and it's, it's really innocent. But not much changes as we get older. We all want to believe something uh, that may not necessarily be true. For example, uh, uh, you think of some conspiracy theories. Some people believe that the earth is flat. Or some people believe that birds aren't real, that the government, they made this, the, you know, these, the birds are actually machines that are spying on us. Or some people believe Oswald was the only one who killed Kennedy. Or some people believe that the moon, uh, the moon landing wasn't real, that, that it was staged. And it's not wrong if you believe any of those things necessarily. If you do, please meet me after service. I have some uh, beachfront property in Kansas. I'd love to sell you. But no, whether, whether it's childhood innocence or as we get older and we still believe things, 
we all want to believe in something that oftentimes is not, is not real or true. What if I were to tell you this morning that everything about Christianity is a lie? What if I were to tell you this morning that the Bible in your hands, that the songs that we sing, that the money that you've given, that the volunteer hours that you've given to this church, what if I were to tell you this morning that all of it was in vain? I think of our adult fellowship groups that have been meeting for 20 and 30 and 50 and 60 years. I think about people that have grown up in this church and now their kids are in this church. And in some instances, their grandkids are in this church. I think about how excited we are this morning to celebrate with those who are being baptized uh, and, and, and want to demonstrate their faith. What if we were to go to every single person this morning who believes in Christ and say to them, everything that you believed is a lie. That is where we find ourselves this morning in the 15th chapter of first Corinthians. I want to lay out kind of a roadmap where we're going this morning. You'll notice uh, when Josh read the verses, we read verses 50 through 58. This is actually Paul's longest chapter in all of his epistles. As Darren uh, pointed out last week, when Paul wrote the Bible, he didn't write in verses and chapters, but those who divided the the chapters up, they did so rightfully uh, to to put all uh, the topic into one chapter. But this is Paul's longest chapter and there is no way that we're going to get through it this morning. So what we're going to kind of do is we're going to do kind of like a flyover. If we wanted to get from LA to New York, the fastest way to get there is by plane. And we can look out the window and we can see uh, Denver and Chicago and Detroit and all these cities. But if we were to get out of the plane and explore each city, it would take us forever to get to New York. That's kind of the, the, the mindset we're going to have this morning. We're not going to be able to get off the plane and look at every single verse in this chapter. We're going to have to do a broad flyover. So I apologize, uh, first of all, that we're not going to be able to do it. Second of all, I probably have to speak a little quicker uh, than I want to. But I would encourage you uh, when you get home this afternoon, maybe to read it or to read it uh, together as a family. You probably will have a lot of questions. There is a lot of information in this. Uh, but what we're going to do is try and see Paul's argument uh, in this chapter. Paul starts out by saying this in verse 1. Now I would, remi- I would remind you brothers of the gospel. That is the whole topic of this chapter. The gospel. What is the gospel? Now, if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? A lot of us would say, well, the gospel is that uh, I'm a sinner, that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died for my sins. And if I put my faith and trust in him, I'll go to heaven. And you'd be absolutely correct. But a lot of times what happens, uh, and I, I, it's just a mistake. It's not, it's not on purpose. But a lot of times what happens is that we tend to leave out the resurrection. And that's the point that Paul is making about this whole chapter. He's going to talk to us about the resurrection. And why is the resurrection so important? He's going to tell us in a minute. But if we were to read through the book of Acts, every sermon in the book of Acts mentions the resurrection. The resurrection is known as the golden truth of the gospel. It's what separates Christianity from all other religions. And what happens is, what happened was people were creeping in and saying that there was no resurrection. Look, uh, look what he says at the end of verse two, uh, before we get there, he says, this is the gospel which you've, uh, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there is a possibility that our beliefs are in vain. There is a possibility that the, the, the lives that we have been leading following Christ, there is a possibility that it was all a lie. Well, he tells us uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 12, 
If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? People were coming into the Corinthian church or they were people in the Corinthian church and they were saying there's no such thing as the resurrection. There is no resurrection of Christ and there is no resurrection of the body. And Paul says, if that's true, then everything that we've believed in is in vain. Look what he says uh, in verse three. He says, I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Two times he says Christ died and Christ rose. And both of these things are in accordance with the scriptures. But if Christ did not rise, then this morning we can say that the Bible is a lie. If Christ truly did not raise, uh, did not rise from the dead, then we, then the books that we hold this morning in our hands is false. Then he goes on and he says uh, that, that the apostles saw him, that Peter saw him. The 12 saw him, James saw him, uh, Paul himself saw him, 500 people claim to have seen Jesus Christ. If you add that up, that's about 515 plus people, 515 plus people claimed with their own eyes to have seen Jesus Christ. And thousands of years later, we are gathered in this building because we believe what they saw. So if, if what they saw was a lie, we believe probably the biggest conspiracy in all of history then the faith that we have is all a lie. And notice what Paul says. If all of this is a lie, then what does that mean for us? If Christ did not rise from the dead, then verse 14, our faith is in vain. Verse 17, if that's true, then we are punished. We are doomed for all of eternity. In verse 18, he says, if that's true, then the dead will not be rise. They are perished. And finally, he ends in verse 19. And he says this. He says, if the resurrection is not true, if everything we've believed about Christ is a lie, then we are all to be pitied. End of story. Now, if we were to shut our Bibles this morning and pray and end our service on that note, we would leave here with a dark cloud hanging over our heads. He's going to tell us in verse 32 that if that's the case, he says, eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die. What's the point? If there's no life after this life, what's the point of even uh, living? What's the point of, of, of living by a certain standard? I, I was uh, thinking of, I remember a couple of years ago, and I'm sure you know this word. Uh, it was, it was famous. Everybody was saying YOLO. Uh, I, I used it too, but you know, if you want to, you know, let's jump off this cliff. Why not? YOLO. You know, it's like, whatever. You only live one time. You know, you only live once. That's, that's what it's saying. And sadly, as, as you look around the world, that's exactly how they live. With no faith in Christ, with no uh, view toward eternity, then why not live the way that we live? And people want to live life to the fullest. And sadly, they're not full of life. They're just chasing after the, the next big thing, the next, the next joy, the next happiness, what they think will make them happy. And Paul says, if that's us, then we are pitied. This past week, if you, if you look underneath our tent, I think they'll mention it in a little bit. If you look underneath our tent, we have uh, a, a contemplative walk. Um, it's not necessarily stations of the cross, but uh, there's different posts with different verses uh, for the parts of Christ's life. There's the, the last supper, um, his be, um, being betrayed. There's Peter's denial. And we, as a staff on Wednesday, we walked through there together. Uh, we all took our, our times, uh, going through there. And as we were walking through there, there's one turn and you come to the scene where the two Marys are at the tomb. And the Bible says that 
the, the man rolled the stone in front of the, in front of the tomb and he walked away. And as I was standing, uh, standing there, um, thinking about this verse and meditating on it, I started to, you know, I started thinking like, man, what that must've felt like for the two Marys who, who followed Christ with their lives, who put their hopes in this guy, who this was the Messiah and to watch him be crucified to watch him be put in the, in the tomb, to watch a man roll a, a, a stone in front of the tomb and walk away. And as they sat there and they, and they looked at that, at, that sto- at that stone in front of the tomb, they were to be pitied. And that's what our lives would be like if not for the resurrection. And that's why over there, uh, the very next post, with the ne- very next verse, it says, I think it's the very next one, it might be the second one, but either way it says, there was a large earthquake Because an angel descended from heaven and rolled the stone away. That we are not to be pitied. Because Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave. Paul says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has risen from the dead. And he did it in verse 25, it says, for he must reign until all things are put under his feet. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. The grave could not hold him. Death could not keep him. He rose victoriously. But that's not all. He didn't just rise for himself. Paul tells us that he rose, in verse 20, he rose from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Christ didn't just rise for himself so that he can reign. He rose so that we too will rise with him for all of eternity and will we'll reign and will rule and will reign with Christ. And Paul says that, 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 our, that our faith, it's not in vain, that we do have this hope. That Christ has risen from the dead and that we too will rise one of these days with him. He goes on and tells us uh, in, in verse 40 and, and, and on what our, re- what our bodies will be like. He says the immortal, uh, the mortal will put on immortality. That we in this, in this body, one of these days we will put on glorified bodies. And I love the climax of this chapter that, which uh, Josh read. It's almost in mockery. He says... Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about what would happen if, if, the, if the resurrection were not, re, were not real. And we said that, uh, that if that was the case, that everything that we believed in was, was false and that we are to be pitied. But I'm here to say this morning that Paul tells us that everything is true. And so all the time that we've given to, to Christ and all the hours that we've volunteered and all the times that we've made it here in the morning and these people who will be baptized in just a little bit, every single one of us can stand up this morning and say, we are victorious. Therefore, verse 58, therefore, now if you're, if you've studied the Bible, uh, for a while, you'll know, they always say, if you ever see a therefore, what is it therefore? 
In other words, that verse is taking into account everything that, it, that, it, that is, has been said before. Therefore, in light of the fact that your faith is not in vain, in light of the fact that Christ rose from the dead, in light of the fact that you are saved from your sins, and in light of the fact that you too will rise from the dead one, one day and rule and reign with Christ, therefore, in light of all of that, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, in the time that we have remaining, I want to look at these, uh, at these adjectives that are given to us. The first one is to be steadfast. If we were to do a word study this morning, this adjective, uh, uh, not the English word, but the, what is written original, this adjective is only used twice uh, in, in all of the Bible. And what it's telling us is that it is an inner disposition. Uh, some synonyms, we might say that you're fixated, that you're fixed, that you're, that you're firm, that you're established. It's an internal disposition of following Christ. For example, you don't have to turn there, but the second time it's used is actually in this book in chapter seven. You might remember uh, a couple of weeks back, we talked about this when we were talking about how some people uh, were married, but Paul was saying that some of you may not want to get married and that's fine. And here's how he, how he describes those people who may not want to be married. He says, uh, chapter seven, verse 37 But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, he will do well. So if somebody doesn't want to get married, he's saying if he's firmly established in his heart, that's an inner disposition. That's the same word that Paul uses when he says to be steadfast. So because of the resurrection that is coming one day, we ought to be firm in our faith internally. Because what happens is, We become anxious and we have fears and we have doubts and worries. And we ask ourselves, is this even true? Is the Bible even true? Is all of this even true? I mean, I say that that is a normal part of the Christian life. We've said this many times. You might hear pastors or preachers get up and say that if if you're fearful or anxious, you're not close enough to Christ. And we've said it many times that that is wrong. That That is a part of the Christian life. But Paul says, regardless of the fact that you have these things, you are firmly established inside because you know that your resurrection is coming. He says, internally, you have this disposition of being steadfast. Then he says that you're immovable. If being steadfast is internal, being immovable is external. We can look at Colossians chapter one. He says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. There's our first word. Not shifting from the hope of this gospel. That word, not shifting, that's the exact same word as immovable. So if, if, if uh, steadfast is internal, immovable means that no matter what's going on around us outside in the world, that we are not being moved, that we are not being tossed to and fro in our faith, but we are standing where we, in our beliefs that the resurrection is coming. I'm always mindful of the fact, uh, before I came on staff, as I had mentioned, I, I was attending here seven and a half years. Um, I had a corporate job and I can remember those seven and a half years when I would come to church, there'd be some Sundays that I, I really did not want to be here. I was thinking about the, the week that had just happened in my job, or I was thinking about the deal I was trying to close and the week coming up, or I was thinking about this or that or whatever it may be. And we are, we are, we are aware of the fact that you're probably there in the same boat. Maybe you come here this morning and and your mind is in a thousand other places. And what happens is you come here and we come here and we read this, the Bible and we sing these songs 
And we leave this place and we hear messages that are antithetical to everything that the Bible says. And Paul says, no matter what the world tells you, no matter what the message is around you, you ought to be immovable. You don't move from your beliefs. Why? Because there's coming a day when we will rise from the dead. And then he says, thirdly, we're always abounding in the work of the Lord. We're overdoing it in our work for God. One of the emphasis, uh, one of the emphases here at church is uh, we always say that the ministry is not just for, for those who, um, those who are in, uh, on staff, that the ministry is for each and every one of us. We all are in ministry, whether we believe it or not. God, where God has placed you, that is your place of ministry. If you spend 40 hours a week in a cubicle, if you drive thousands of miles in a truck, uh, if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, if you, if you work from your, your children's uh, uh, bedroom because you're, you have to find a place to, to do your Zoom calls, wherever it is that you are, that's where God has placed you and that is the work to which he has called you. I remember seeing a thing, uh, someone had told me about a, uh, a TikTok video that uh, it was this lady and she was uh, running around and she was showing a day in the life of, uh, of her life and she was changing diapers and making bottles and making dinner for the family and all this and that. And in her kitchen above the stove was a placard that said, this too is worship. In other words, when she's changing diapers, that's, what's God, that's what God has called her to do. When she's making the meal, that's what God has called her to do. When you're doing whatever your job is if, as a student or whatever it may be, that's what God has called you to do. And Paul says you ought to always be abounding in the work to which he has called you. Now, notice we saw at the end of verse two, uh, he said, this is the gospel that by which you're being saved unless you believed in vain. Notice how he ends the whole chapter. Be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And what he's saying is that if your faith in the resurrection is not in vain, you can be confident that the work to which God has called you to do, that the work you are doing is not in vain. And Paul says we ought to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Here's the temptation. About five or six weeks ago, uh, we rang in 2023 and uh, all across the world as, as we commenced the countdown and the ball was dropping to, to tell us that it was 2023 and counting down uh, all across this world. Uh, many of us were making New Year's resolutions, whether it was to eat better or work out every day or whatever it might be. We all wanted to be better. And, and what happens when you make resolutions is you say, yes, this is the year that's going to do it. 2023, I'm telling you, this is my, this is my year. And I can remember reading uh, about two weeks in, uh, some newspaper article was saying that 80% of those who make New Year's resolutions uh, fail by the second week. And what happens is you fail and you think to yourself, man, why do I even try to, to eat better? Why do I even try to, to do whatever it is? You know, I might as well just quit. That's the same mentality that we take into the Christian life. We think to ourselves, man, if, uh, you know, we hear a verse like being steadfast and immovable, immovable, and we say to ourselves, yes, if I just try hard enough, if I just buckle down, if I just believe, if I just work hard enough, then I can do it this time. And just like those New Year's resolutions, we often fail and we say to ourselves, why do I even try? 
But if God is going to call us to do something, he's also going to give us the power and the resources to do it. Romans 8, 11 says this. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. We've been talking about the resurrection and that glorious day when the stone was rolled away. And you can imagine the scene of Jesus walking out of the tomb. And Paul says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that is in each and every one of us this morning. It's not about determining in our heart if I just buckle down internally, I can do it. What is Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 3? Verse 16, that we are strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's not our internal strength that's going to help us to do these things. It's when the spirit of God fills us and when we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and when we allow the spirit of God to help us to be steadfast and to be immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. When we do that, that's when we are able to do it. Paul says because of the resurrection, we have to live this, this way. Eugene Peterson was known as a pastor and an author before his death. You might know him. He wrote many great books and uh, he wrote the message, uh, the Bible translation, really well-known guy. And uh, the story is told of one time when he was uh, at a pastor's conference. He was speaking at a conference with a couple of other pastors and uh, during the day session, it was a question and answer time. And so the auditorium was packed with hundreds of people. And uh, Eugene Peterson was sitting there with four other pastors. And uh, someone, a lady stood up about halfway through. A lady stood up in the back. And she said, Dr. Peterson, if you could summarize the Christian life in one phrase that would fit on a t-shirt, what would you say? And Dr. Peterson Chuckled for a minute. He said, ma'am, I, I, I don't even know if I could do that. I, I don't even think I would do the gospel justice, let alone I, w- I wouldn't trust it on a t-shirt. She said, but, but if you could, what would you say? And he said, ma'am, I, I just don't, I don't even want to think about that. And she insisted, but Dr. Peterson, please, if, if you could fit the gospel onto one uh, phrase, what would you say? And he said, ma'am, honestly, I don't even think I would trust a phrase. And one last time she persisted uh, with a sense of urgency. She said, but Dr. Peterson, if you could put the gospel on a phrase, on a t-shirt, what would you say? Eugene Peterson thought about it for a minute. And he said, practice your resurrection life. Practice your resurrection life. What was he saying? There's coming a day not too far off yonder, as the old hymn says, when the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. And the life that we have on this earth, things will no longer matter. There will come a day, hopefully in the not too distant future, whether we be lying six feet in the ground or if the Lord tarries and comes during our lifetime. Whereas 1 John chapter 3 says, we will all look Christ face to face in the eyes and we will be just like him. And until that time comes, we ought to practice our resurrection life. And how do we do that? Being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? 
Because just like our faith is not in vain, so our work for the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are filled with joy to think about our resurrection life. Thank you for your life and your death, which we will commemorate today. Thank you for the fact that you rose from the dead. And thank you that you give us newness of life and that there is more to life than just what we see here on this earth. I pray that as we follow you, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would not seek to do things in our own strength, but we would remember that your Holy Spirit gives us the power to live the life that you have called us to do. Help us to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And we look forward to the day when we will rise and rule and reign with you. And until that day, may our souls look up with a steadfast hope and may our wills be lost in yours. Amen.